Our next and uh, final speaker for the session today is Carol Richards. Dr. Carol Richards is a senior research fellow at Queensland University of Technology. She's a sociologist by training, specialising in sustainable resource use, governance, power, and social change. I'll hand over to you now, Carol. Thanks. Thank you for that. Okay. I, um, I wanted to talk to you about a project that I've been working on for a little while with um, some of my colleagues. Uh, one of them who I, I wish would be here today with me because you get a real big kick out of meeting all of you is Robin Mays. And uh, another is a colleague from uh, Aberystwyth University, rolls off the tongue, and that's in Wales. So we've been looking at, at um, fossil fuel divestment um, as a new way that civil society engages with the problems of climate change. And this came about because we noted a, noticed a shift from the kind of um, the good traditional types of activism and bodily protest, you know, where you put yourself, you lock on to some uh, mining machinery or you stage a, a protest outside the mining headquarters where it's all very kind of place-based and specific. And often if you're in uh, you know, mining areas, you don't really have a great audience because they're in the middle of nowhere. So you know, there's a social media element to that. But what we thought was interesting was this shift from this kind of bodily turning up at protest to this um, divestment from fossil, fossil fuels where people advocate for um, organisations and companies and individuals to pull their money out of fossil fuel projects or commit to not investing them in the future. So we thought that was quite neat, something that was going on, something that's kind of, um, it's legal, you can't get arrested for it because you're just playing the game of the free market economy and capitalism. So in a nice way it kind of piggybacks on neoliberal capitalism but it's kind of sneaky, it's kind of like a border collie that comes around and nips you at the back when you least expect it. So the, the way we're looking at this is from broadly critical social science between us we're sociologists, geographers, cultural studies types, um, no economists, so we'll, we'll give that a bit of a shot anyway. Um, the accent's from Manchester by the way, it's really thick at the moment so I've just come back from the UK. I can hear myself, it sounds funny with all these Australian accents again. Um, so we wanted to look at how the fossil fuel divestment movement bypasses an ineffective state. We think this is one of the elements of what's going on. And I'll talk to you a little bit later about the ineffective state, but I think we've heard lots, we're kind of getting the gist, that uh, the politicians, policies and regulatory settings are not optimal for um, saving us from climate change. So we want to understand how this divestment movement and how this kind of um, disruption of flows of capital globally might facilitate a, a transition to a different type of economy or energy future. Uh, the way we got our information for this research is we've, uh, we've been talking to people who are directly involved in the divestment movement. So these are the real movers and shakers both in Australia and in the UK. So we've been talking to key NGOs mostly and uh, just a sprinkling of, um, of uh, ethical investor people as well who are also in this space. So why divest? I mean, many of you would be familiar with this work, so I won't labour the point, but um, pretty much this um, divestment came around from uh, Bill McKibben's Do the Math, I'd like to say, <laughs> the Do the Math uh, article in the Rolling Stone and another subsequent tour. Um, his work's brilliant, but his grammar's shocking. So, um, so the divestment is really about moving your funds away from um, morally... Um, suspect or dubious um, types of investments, morally ambiguous investments. And the idea of it is that there's so much carbon in the ground um, based on our carbon economy 
that we can dig up and burn. If we do that, then we, we're going to far exceed the, the two degrees limit that um, there's international agreements to try and stay within. So the very common, in, in this space, talking to people involved in the divestment movement, very common mantra, and I've written quotes because nearly everybody we spoke to said this, is to profit from fossil fuels, is to profit from the destruction of the planet. So very, very powerful discourse there. I should just add that divestment isn't new. I think what's new is the, um, the intensity of this divestment movement. So many people involved, so much capital being moved around, uh, so much of a buzz around it. But there's been divestment movements in the past around things like tobacco. There's kind of a simmering divestment movement going on around investments in Israel to do with the Israel-Palestine uh, conflict. So it's been around for a little while. So why divest? This is where I wanted to talk about this idea of an ineffective state. And this is kind of your bread and butter for this audience. I'm sure none of this is a surprise to you. But you remember the call is good for humanity. I like to keep reminding people of that because they kind of dis, you know, they disappear into the distant past. Uh, but the G20 wasn't that long ago in Brisbane, which is my hometown, where um, Tony Abbott was standing up for coal because it's got no supporters and it's just a poor little resource that nobody cares about. So... <laughs> Amongst all this, you know, with this kind of regulatory and policy setting that we've elected our leaders to, to sort out, then there's, there's sneaky little deals like the Green Tech Reduction Act, which sound kind of, you know, it sounds nice because we're just getting rid of the regulatory burden and we're helping the economy along, but it's just re removing things like approvals, environmental approvals, and so forth. So also... Um, the amount of subsidising from the public purse to the private sector in the form of mining is quite immense. And a um, nice article by the Australia Institute is that um, 17 billion um, in major subsidies being given to private mining companies over a six-year period. You know, that would be a lot of hospitals, nurses, educators, carers and so forth. So I, I don't have to remind you about the cosy relationship between politicians and miners. And interestingly, this theme came up again in the UK as well when we were talking to people there. Um, you think about the Tate Gallery being sponsored by BP. There's all these nice cosy relationships of who went to Eton together. You know, it's a similar but kind of different setting. So I just want to give you a public service warning here. Anybody who's expecting a child has a heart condition or is under the age of 18, just to remind you of these cosy relationships that we're dealing with. Sorry, I had to do that. I apologise. If anybody needs a stiff drink later, it's on me. So who's divesting? Well, interestingly, it's um, the nice thing about this is the, that uh, we can no longer say it's kind of the green lefty hippies, you know, that need to get a proper job. Everybody's divesting. Um, we've got the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, who actually made this money out of oil, is, uh, is divesting from fossil fuels. Uh, the Rockefeller Brothers also made their money from oil, <laughs> divesting from fossil fuels. But also um, religious organisations, the Pope's talking about divestment, um, Guardian's been running a long-term campaign on divestment. You start to see maybe your superannuation if you're in Unisuper, if you work for a university, they're having uh, fossil-free portfolios now. So you're starting to see this shift and this mainstreaming. Universities, that's always a bone of contention. There's been some uh, ongoing fights around university endowments being involved in fossil fuels and uh, and that's a tricky one as well with universities um, taking money from big mining and offering scholarships and sponsorships and research so those relationships are, uh, are quite wedded. But you see local councils like I know in New South Wales Marrickville has, uh, has divested 
And so you start to see the list that 350.org, who's one of the key proponents of divestment, maintain a list. And each time you look at their website, the list is getting longer and longer. So you see now there's, there's hundreds of organisations that are happy to have their name up as um, organisations, firms, companies that's divested from fossil fuels. So I think what's going on, there is some, something to do with bypassing the ineffective state. It's not, it's, it's a little imperfect, but it's, it's a good way forward. So I think there's new types of strategies, um, toolkit activism, very good use of social media, global level organising, which kind of mirrors the global finance capital um, where these investments are occurring. Also see very strongly in this space um, the building of a social movement. So a new social movement is, is really quite interesting and broadening and mainstreaming. So when you start to um, you know, get the Pearl Paul, Rockefeller Brothers or, or just kind of more mainstream social actors rather than the, the usual suspects of the green left talking about this, you can see that it's broadening in scope. One thing, I mean, another way it bypasses the state is by going directly to businesses and markets. And there's a few things here. So, I mean, one of them is ethics and morality, which has a direct bearing on your reputational risk, and it's the way corporations talk about it, and also the financial risk by highlighting this idea of a financial bubble as well. So, it's, you know, get rid of your shares, get rid of your stocks in fossil fuels, because whoever's kind of left holding the baby at the end are not going to be in a really good financial position. So I, I like this quote uh, from one of the people that we spoke to saying that we're trying to disrupt the relationships that the financial markets hold with fossil fuel companies. So a lot of this movement has been around disruption of relationships, also disruption of relationships between politicians and the mining companies as well. And this is where this kind of leverage is coming from. So we can ask how effective this has been, and there's been a number of wins, and this is just a few examples. Um, if you're interested in this, I'd recommend the 350.org website because they, they really catalogue and, and archive this information very well. Um, so I think for me, one of the successes is it's, it's mainstream, so there's broad societal engagement, which is what you want. It's not just a, you know, a fringe group that are ranting about this problem of fossil fuels and climate change. And, and um, affecting change in that space, it's becoming more mainstream. Interestingly, the banks are responding to reputational risk, and particularly when you confront them with icons like indigenous land rights, it's kind of iconic. Not so much in Australia, but overseas, which is quite bizarre, that um, it's more likely to be the New York or London headquartered banks that are concerned about their reputation with the way the, their capital is assisting the kind of ongoing demise of uh, indigenous cultures and societies and land and so forth. But then there's also the financial risk of the, of the carbon bubble as well. So it's not all purely moral and ethical, you know, people are also worried about losing their money. So, But uh, if it has the right outcome in the end, then it's, it's probably not that relevant. But you can see from there that some of these major names of the banks that have been divested by being divesting and I think what's interesting some of them are not kind of retail banks the retail banks have a consumer front you know they have a maybe like Commonwealth Bank banks like um, Standard Charters they're kind of behind the scenes most people haven't heard of them but they're still concerned about their reputational risk especially if you say you know their, their projects that they're funding contribute to the destruction of the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park that really made them sit up and listen which is it's quite amazing so there's you know, there's uh, millions, billions being pulled out of um, the Adani Carmichael mine project, of funds that were um, 
kind of put aside for this. There might not have been agreements, but they were about to fund some that they've withdrawn and said we're not no longer entering into these arrangements. The 350.org calculate 3.4 trillion have been divested from fossil fuels. So that's that's kind of hitting where it counts, isn't it? I quite like this imagery. Um, some of you might be familiar with this. This is um, Adrian Borogova and Murawa Johnson. And they travelled, uh, some of you are nodding, you know these guys, they've travelled to um, both New York and London to the headquarters of some of these major banks and asked them, excuse me, not to directly invest into um, the Carmichael mine that's going to have a significant impact on their traditional land. And so there's these fantastic images in the newspapers. And not long after this, Standard Chartered pulled out of their arrangement with Adani. So and that was really significant because they were going to be the major bank that um, sorted out the syndicated loans. So this was kind of the big guys pulling out as well. And you'd see this nice kind of cascading effect of everybody else basically shooting themselves as well. So I just wanted to shift now towards looking at um, the new economy or renewables. And in a way, the data that we've collected kind of stops here because a lot of people we spoke to are saying, well, we, you know, there's nowhere to invest, there's nothing that we can do, the government's not behind renewables. So it kind of like that best, and, oh, okay, they've done that now, what do we do? So there's a bit of a, a, bit of a gap here that's uh, interesting to look at. So I'd like to, so an advocate that's involved in um, divestment in the UK, she's saying, well, in my mind, would be to get the capital that's been pulled out of the old system back into the new system and then communicated and celebrated. And then I guess her uh, contemporary in Australia says that we should be looking at new opportunities in the new economy. Um, we can't say you shouldn't be investing in renewables because the options aren't actually there. So I just wanted to explore that a little bit. That, um, so going from disruption to where do you actually put this capital? And I guess we can argue that there's a political lag there. There's a will of the people for this new or a different type of uh, energy economy, but the government's not quite there. So we've still got this issue of the state, we've bypassed them, but then we kind of hit them again later on in terms of renewables and their policies that would give investors confidence in investing in renewables. So you've got these mixed messages from the government. You've got a lack of credible ongoing climate policy. We knew that, which was the need for a divestment movement in the first place. There's a reduction in renewable energy targets, not great again for investor confidence. Then you've got ARENA, a renewable energy fund, which is putting money into innovation and development, including windmills, at the same time that you've got Turnbull appointing the National Wind Farm Commissioner. So, you know, if you had a barrel full of money, you'd look somewhere else, I guess, to put that. And then you've also, from the previous Abbott government, had this pledge to abolish the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, uh, which still exists. Turnbull didn't follow it through. But you can see all this, this kind of uncertainty. So to conclude, I guess this um, going in with your um, protests and campaigns at the level of the market does have some efficacy in engaging with markets, um, but I'm arguing that you can only bypass the states to a certain extent. Sooner or later you kind of need to come back to them. Um, I think divestment looks like just one of a suite of a number of approaches to climate change and I think it's, it's been a, a really good response. But I think my last point, I don't know, I'm not sure about the new economy. I think we kind of, maybe we're messing around with it at the edges, we might have new markets. We've got neoliberal capitalism. And these renewable energy type projects will happen within neoliberal capitalism. So I think we need uh, a more radical overhaul of the economy 
And um, so I, I think we're transforming within, but we're not transforming the economic system in it of itself. It's lunchtime, hey? I've got a message. Yeah. <laughs>